Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Game Time Guru. Happy Friday for those who were listening on the time of this recording. Sorry, at the time of this launch of the podcast. But uh, I'm super stoked for another interview. I say that every week, but I really am. Like, it's one of those things. I enjoy doing this. I've been doing it for six and a half years. I never get tired of doing it. I love interviewing and meeting and learning from new people. And today we have a pioneer in the sport of mixed martial arts and all combat sports. Our guest fought bare knuckle MMA, bare knuckle fighting, uh, Muay Thai, Lethway uh, in the UFC for normal mixed martial arts. I mean, this guy has done it all. Uh, he has more fights under his belt than any living fighter at this moment. Um, and you're going to love hearing his stories. I mean, from fighting all over the world in Thailand, Japan, the United States, you know, uh, Mexico, everywhere. I mean, he talks about it all. It's going to be an awesome interview for you. I want to give a massive shout out to today's sponsor of the podcast, which is Summit Legal Consulting. Um, the podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of the sponsors of the show. And today's sponsor is Summit Legal Consulting. And I want to give you a little bit of information about Summit Legal Consulting. So what they do is they help business founders from setup to exit. Okay, so they work with them to set it up and then the exit strategy and everything. And in the last five years, they've helped founders complete over 1 billion, that's with a B, dollars in acquisitions and exits. I know the owner of the company. I've said it in the last couple of podcasts that they've sponsored. I know the owner of the company and I stand by his work and his ethics, his morals. So he's really, really good at what he does. And if you guys need help, if you're a business owner or you know somebody who is, who could use the assistance of Summit Legal Consulting, hit them up. You can go to www.summitlegalconsulting.com or you can email the owner, which is addison at summitlegalconsulting.com. You can mention the Game Time Guru for the inside track to be a client because he doesn't accept everybody. You know, he's with a business like that, you can't accept everybody. You've got to be able to give everybody your 100% attention and you have to pay attention to the details there. So if you want to reference the Game Time Guru, you need some assistance. Go there, hit him up, mention me or the show, and uh, you can at least let him know that that's where you heard it from. But again, Summit Legal Consulting, shout out for being today's sponsor. And again, guys, I hope you guys tune in and enjoy this interview. Um, I only ask that if you enjoy it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Spotify because it helps the show go into more and more people's hands. Uh, that's how the algorithms work in those platforms. So if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and you haven't yet left a review on the show, please do so. Um, you guys will really uh, help me out by doing that. But get ready for this interview with a pioneer of combat sports. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show, six and a half years running. Super excited to get into another interview today, um, learning more from one of our sports figures, you know. Uh, but I want to give a massive shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, which is Summit Legal Consulting. Shout out to Summit Legal Consulting. You guys heard about them in the introduction. Um, this episode wouldn't be possible if it weren't for them. I appreciate their assistance and everything. I'm going to have their uh, information in the description of this podcast, so make sure to check that out as well. 
And uh, you guys might have heard in the intro, but I'm going to give a little bit more background. But today's guest, it's an interesting connection because what I do on the side for like, I have a full-time job. I, I run my own podcast, but I also do podcast production. And part of that podcast production is I, I work with the HJR experiment for Harrison Rogers. And I've had Harrison on the show talking about the UFL. I've had a couple of his fighters on the show just talking about their experience. And in the middle of doing that, I, I get to hear, and I was editing the podcast episode and I am watching this interview with the guest today. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is sick. It's kind of cool for me because I'm a, a big fan of the sport of mixed martial arts, just all combat sports in general. And uh, Shannon Rich right here is the one who knows all about that. So we've got Shannon, the cannon on the show. Uh, Shannon, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, no, no problem, man. Excited to have you on here, brother. <clears throat> I, you are like the perfect fit for what i enjoy as a, as a combat sports fan like you've done it all um and 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 you like combat <clears> sports and that's what i i always tell people like that i'm a former boxer myself just in the amateurs but i love the sport of boxing but i also love mma and jujitsu like i don't just pick one side over the other i love them all um and i want to kind of get your background because you were like the the pioneer of like you know early days of the ufc but even before that i mean you were fighting anywhere it was uh possible to fight so well, I want to rewind the clock. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, man, it started in 1991 fighting bare knuckle uh, at the time. It's called Valley Tudo. Um, you know, we're doing a Plaza de Toros in uh, Mexico, all, all over Mexico. And we were doing these uh, fights called, you know, no rules fights. So it's uh, the chickens fight, the dog fights, and the people would fight. And by the time the people would fight, you know, everybody's drunk, this and that. Well, anyway, I was going down there uh, during college making $500 a fight and that's way more money than I was making doing a regular job. So I was like, Oh heck yeah. I like, I like this. So then, you know, that progressed, you know, I, I won like 32 fights in a row. Nobody wanted to fight me anymore. Um, they kept, you know, at that time it was any size, no rounds, no rules, no weight class. Um, you know, I haven't fought anybody from boxers to pro wrestlers to just to whoever. Um, and then, and then 1993 came around and the UFC came out. And that got me hooked, man. I was like, wait a minute. These guys are fighting in a cage. This is exactly what I want to do. So what I did is, did like anybody else, is, uh, if you want to you wanna figure out who's doing this, you go hang out with those guys. And I, I met a guy by the name of Dan to be Severn. He took me under his wing. We went out to Hawaii, fought in Super Brawl um, in front of 10,000 people. You know, there's a boxing commission. It's regulated. Um, uh, so that was my, my intro to real MMA. Um, at that time, it was called NHB, No Holds Barred. And, you know, that just launched a career to, you know, after 30-year career of MMA, I'm still fighting and I'm 52 years old. And you know, I started fighting when I was 21 and and been all over the world, you know, Russia, China, Japan, Canada, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Singapore. You name it, I've probably been there. Um, just fighting all over the world, representing Arizona. I'm, I'm a native to Arizona, born and raised in Coolidge, Arizona. Go Bears. And, um, you know, it's just it, it's just evolved. I watched the sport go from uh just this you know mu mutation and combat sport to an actual real professional sport i mean now, now guys are making big money um they're getting the notoriety they're becoming famous um yeah man it's crazy uh, my my claim to fame is i have more mma fights than any living fighter in the world 237 professional fights um and you know the, am i the best fighter in the world no but i've won eight world titles i've won 32 belts fought all over the world i have a weight a belt title belt at 155 pounds 170 185 205 and heavyweight i got five belts in five different weight classes that's uh that's pretty cool you know 
Oh, that's that's really cool, man. And you know, if we rewind it a little bit, so it's perfect that you even went into this because it's exactly what I was gonna do. I was gonna rewind the clock, yeah, kind of see when you got into the fight world. So in early nineties, Valley Tudu, like or yeah, Valley Tudu, like in Mexico, ninety one, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I guess my question for you here is this: like, what was the atmosphere like? You said that in chickens, dogs, and then people will fight afterwards. What was the atmosphere like? Did you ever feel kind of like, oh, this is kind of shady? You take your money oh. and go back home. Like, how was it? One thousand percent shady. One thousand percent. It was. Uh, it was dangerous, man. You know, we, you know, you got a couple Americans going down to Mexico. What do you mean? I don't speak Spanish that well. I mean, I, I know a little bit. I speak Spanglish, and um, you know, they literally there's this big mob of people, and they're like, "Hey, who wants to fight the gringo?" And you know, it, you never knew who you were gonna fight. There was no weigh-in. There was no weight class. There was, you know, every everything was spur of the moment. You know, at the end of the night. Um, if you got paid, usually they'll pay you, but if you got paid and, you know, sometimes they just, they forgot to pay you, <laughs> you know, um, and you probably don't argue that either. Do you? Like, no, nah, they okay, got, well, they got, out of here. yeah, they got the little <laughs> yeah. pistolero and, you know, it, it got to the end when, you know, I had won 32 fights in a row and, um, you know, I was making 500 a fight and it got to a point where they, they weren't paying me anymore and nobody would fight me. And so I just quit going, you know, it, it was getting a little dangerous and I was like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done doing this naturally well you talked about dan severn taking you over to hawaii right and you were talking about mm -hmm. the is it called the super brawl yeah yeah super brawl can you explain that that's like the, was that your first time fighting in front of that many fans i mean ten thousand fans is quite a bit yeah um, that was that was my first things. that was kind of my first big uh fight i mean I, obviously i had been fighting in these little smaller events um you know, when the ufc first came out in 1993 you had all these little tiny promotions to start popping up everywhere um even here in arizona they had a thing called Rage in the Cage. It's the, actually the longest running uh, MMA event in Arizona. And at the time, you weren't allowed to hit close fists. You had to hit open palms. So it was kind of like pankers. You know, you could kick, you could knee, you could elbow, but you had to hit them with an open hand. It, it, it was ridiculous. But when you went to the ground, you could hit close fists to the body, open hand to the face. Um, so there were all these little rules and stuff. It wasn't regulated. So, I, I mean, there was actually a time we, we were going to fight at the Celebrity Theater and... Um, John McCain came out and he shut it down and more or less said, if anybody fights, you will be arrested. Wow. So, so that's happened. And that's happened several times. You know, I fought in California many times and, and, and what they did is, uh, the, you know, the, the boxing commission was trying to regulate this at the time. You got to remember this is early nineties and no one really knew what they were doing. <laughs> we're yeah. just kind of making it up as we went along. So in California, what, what they did is, uh, they would get the sheriffs would come out and they would say, hey, this is illegal. You guys are going to get arrested, this and that. And we're like, well, hey, we're making a movie and this is a movie script. And we had cameras and all that. So did did it look like we we're fighting? Absolutely. We're fighting. But when the sheriff came, then it turned into we're making a movie. And so that's how they kind of that's how they kind of got away with that. I mean, that's when tap out with Charles and Dan. I mean, these guys are selling T-shirts out of the back of their van. Um, this, I mean, we're talking early nineties This is when, when, when it was still brand new, um, tap out was, you know, throwing out their t-shirts and, and myself and, uh, I don't know, uh, Jeremy Horn. I think we were the first, uh, sponsored fighters from tap out. So yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. Yeah. It's crazy cool stuff. To be part, yeah. It's, you're part yeah, of yeah. the story though. Like on, on well, multiple eras, which is so cool. it, it, It's definitely history. I mean, this is, this is a, the, you know, when you want to talk about the beginning of mixed martial arts, you have to go back to those NHB days back, you know, prior to 93, when the UFC first came out and then all the way up to, 
you know, the late 90s after it got regulated and it became a uh, boxing commission and, you know, there were rules, regulations and weight classes. I mean, you got to remember, we were fighting. There were no weight classes. There was no time limit. And there yeah. was, you know, it was bare knuckle. Do you have a when the when the UFC first launched, though, like I was I was a young kid at the time, but I remember just going to get the VHS tapes in like the early 2000s and always just watching Hoist Gracie and, you know, Ken do their thing. And like everybody like even then it was a little bit crazy because there were no weight classes then there were no like it was like you could bring the dude brings a boxing glove on one hand yeah knuckle on the other like nobody really knew what was going on hey we're making it up as we're making it up as we went along man <laughs> it's so awesome but i i want to ask you that question though is as a fighter yourself this is why i'm glad that you're on the show because i have a lot of listeners it's in 180 countries all 50 states but a lot of the listeners are like between the ages of like 16 to 30 and yeah they don't necessarily understand what has gone on to get the, the the UFC and all of the mixed martial arts regional promotions to where they're at right now. They don't realize the fight game has evolved so much. So I guess well, they I don't realize you, they don't realize what the legends, the, the pioneers had to do and, and go through to get it to where it is today. You know what I mean? These totally. guys like Conor McGregor and stuff, they're making millions of dollars when we used to fight for five hundred dollars. You know what I mean? So it was like it, it, if it wasn't for us during the days of uh of the early MMA day or early NHB days, no whole bars days, uh, MMA wouldn't exist. It, MMA wouldn't be where it is today for sure. You know, guys like Jeremy Horn, myself, uh, Dan Severn. I mean, the, we, we, and, uh, we were fighting in these other shows like Hook and Shoot, uh, Extreme Challenge, Super Brawl. Um, the, the fans nowadays, they never even heard of these events. But when the UFC was banned and it was not on pay-per-view anymore, um, uh, we're the ones that kept the sport alive during those dark days of the UFC. Yeah. And no, and no one really, you know, no one really says, Oh, you know, if we weren't the guys still fighting during those dark days of MMA, there would be no MMA. There would be none. There would yeah. be none. Yeah. Yeah. So Shannon, when, when you're, you know, with all the experience, you have the most fights of any mixed martial artists at this time, you know, like living, current, living, living, living. Okay, yeah. that's I got to say, I got to say, I have the more fights than any living fighter because there is a guy who died. Um, his name is Travis Fulton. He's got over 300 fights, but um, he killed himself because he was going to go to prison for life. Um, I don't really want to talk about that guy, but uh, I do have to give him the respect that he deserves for having over 300 fights. Um, do you but, plan to try to get there yourself? No, or no, 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 that, no. That'll never happen. I'm at 237 and, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I'm 52 years old. I'm pretty much at the yeah. end of my career um, with everything that's gone on and everything I have coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm done fighting unless Frank Mir or Rampage Jackson or somebody like that. If a UFL wants to fight, then obviously I'm there. You know, I wanted to fight uh, Frank Mir for his retirement fight, but it looks like, you know, he, he doesn't want to sign a contract and he doesn't want to fight. So more or less, he's already saying he's retired. So. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I heard that in the interview that you did with Harrison um, yeah. talking about that. I was like, ooh. Uh, yeah. um, I want to ask you this, Shannon, as, as a fighter with all the experience that you have, when you go into these bigger promote, like 10,000 people at Super Brawl, and you started getting into like the, the, the stuff started getting a little bit more traction. You got more fans there. Obviously, there's a little more pressure. How did you as a fighter deal with the pressure how do you prepare so that you don't get like i guess shell shocked so to speak i mean everybody prepares you have your practice all americans and then when the lights are on they might just kind of shrink up a little bit and they can't perform to the best of their ability i'm curious you being part of the evolution of the sport how were you able to 
deal with the the noise that was starting to be gained everywhere. Well, the only way you do that is through experience. And, you know, it's just fighting time after time after time, fighting, you know, different different arenas all over the world. And so when I got to highlight myself in Pride 11 against Kazushi Sakuraba, I mean, if you want to talk about Pride, at that time, Pride was bigger than the UFC. Pride was the Super Bowl of MMA. If you made it to Pride, then you were somebody, you know what I mean? So it was like being an American fighting in Japan in front of 100,000 fans. Um, yeah, that shell shock of that, that, that you know, you, the lights, camera, action, and you get, you get a little, you know, off your game. That just comes with experience you know you if it's a guy you know it's his first fight and he's doing that then yeah he's gonna he probably won't perform to his full potential but after you know you've been in the game for a while and you've got that experience then it's just it's just another day at the office totally you know fighting is a weird it's a weird sport it's one of those that you learn more about yourself than any other sport in my opinion i've you know competed in basketball football yeah, yeah. my whole life and then like i said boxing was one of them i want to ask you this shannon is as a fighter, you can be as good as you want, but sometimes you'll get clipped. You know what I mean? I, I've talked to multiple fighters on the show just from various promotions of different things. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Sorrow, Bare Knuckle uh, Fighting Championships, he he talked about that. He's like, you can be as prepared as you want, but sometimes you just get caught. Like you get clipped on the wrong you know, transition coming out of a clinch or something, um, and you get caught, and you might lose a fight, and, and that's how it is. So he said he, you learn a lot from the losses, and I want to ask you, like, has there been a time where you got caught? And if you can maybe – Give some advice to any athlete out there, especially <clears throat> fighters. When you get caught, even though you prepared so hard for a fight, you may, you might end up on the losing end of it. How do you rebound from that? You, you just don't give up. You don't quit. You know what I mean? I, I look at fighters now. Um, you know, they go out and they have 15, 20, 25 fights and they retire. Um, you know, maybe they went on a 14-fight win streak and lose three in a row and then they quit. Man, I've lost 10 in a row, 15 in a row. Um, yeah, by, by no means am I saying I'm the best fighter in the world, but man, I've got a ton of wins, but I got a ton of losses. I think, I think you have to learn how to, um, you have to learn how to lose because when you win, oh man, everything's great. But when you lose, you're at the lowest part of your, your life and your, you know, the depression comes in and this and that, and you're just, oh man, what the heck is it worth it? Yeah. Don't quit. If you want to become a world champion, if you want to, you know, pursue it like like this you you got to know how to win but you got to also know how to lose and yeah. and you learn from it you learn every single loss you learn from it i, I used to go out i mean <clears throat> i mean now guys have like eight weeks 16 weeks two months to train for a fight i mean i was fighting every weekend um no training camp i mean i just stayed fighting that's that's how i was that's how i was in shape you you, you fight every single weekend Sometimes you fight on Friday, then turn around, fight on Saturday. Heck, even may, may even fight on a Sunday. There was one time I fought in Mexico, fought in Arizona, fought in California. Three different promotions in three different days. Who does that? And at this time, they were eight-man tournaments. So you would have to fight three times in one night to win. win. Um, that's some crazy stuff, man. Uh, but, yeah, you got to learn how to lose, man. And if my experience to a younger fighter, it's like, look, man. Someone has to win. Someone has to lose. Just go out, fight your hardest that you can. Fans are going to like you if you fight hard. If you put on a good fight, that's what the promoter wants to see. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. The promoter wants to see you go out and try to knock somebody out. You're either going to knock them out or you get knocked out or submit them or they submit you. But if you put on a good fight, you come out, you're entertaining, you'll always get called back. I love it, man. I love <laughs> it. You know, uh, Shannon, one of the things that stood out to me about your career, uh, which is so wild, like just again, I don't want to sound like a fanboy. I'm 35 almost, 
but like i do remember seeing your name pop up all when i was younger and just like following the sport and then when you came up on like harrison's interview i'm like oh my gosh dude i know this I, this is awesome i've heard so of this like, guy <laughs> this is rad it was a really cool yeah. interview too um i'm gonna encourage anybody to this is a shout out to harrison i don't get paid for this i'm just telling you like if you guys have listened to my interview with harrison um go listen to the interview you did with shannon and it was really cool it's cool to hear about shannon's career his acting career and everything but it's also cool to learn about the ufl i would encourage you guys to go check it out we'll talk about the ufl here and just other mini promotions little smaller regional promotions that are going on but um Lethway is what stood out to me about your career. Lethway is crazy. And a lot of people don't know about it. I got a friend of mine at work who told me, man, you got to get a Lethway fighter on your show someday. Like it's crazy. And as I started studying it and watching it, it's not sanctioned in everywhere. Uh, it's nope. just like the most, <laughs> most so, of the bare knuckle stuff. Talk, so you talk got, about it. Yeah. So you got to remember. Okay. So let's say, let's say Thailand has Muay Thai. Let's say United States, Iran, Russia, they have wrestling. Uh, boxing is pretty much all over the world, but Lethway is Burma, Myanmar. So Lethway is Myanmar or Burma at the time. Um, it's their national sport. You know, soccer, it's a national sport of Brazil, France. Uh, it, it's getting very popular here in the United States as well. But Lethway is bare knuckle, elbows, knees, headbutts, wrestling takedowns. And it's their traditional national sport. So if you fight Lethway, you're usually fighting Myanmar, you're fighting in Burma, um, and that's their national sport. Now, I went over there for Team USA. I'm one of, I think, three United States Americans that have fought Lethway in Burma in the indoor national stadium. Um, I won a belt. Um, I fought their national champion. Um, it, it, it's a crazy, it's a crazy sport, man. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, but I fought Lethway. I fought in Thailand, regular Muay Thai. I fought K1. I fought in Pride, MMA, and a, a wrestling. And I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion. I don't think there's – oh, and a pro wrestler. So I don't think there's too many guys that have had my experience doing this whole thing. Didn't you have a BKFC or a – That's right. I forgot about Bare Knuckle. I'm 26 and 3, like and I have, the the, I have the current United States International – uh, super fight championships. I won. I won that fight in Cancun, Mexico, against yeah, a Hispanic Mexico, guy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, dude, and, you've you've got it and all. I'm, and I'm rocking. And I'm rocking F three. And I'm rocking F three, baby. Is yeah, that yeah. The, the jersey that you're wearing too? Is that yeah, the yeah. Jersey that you all put together on your yes, yes, sir. Line? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so sick, man. Yeah, we're coming oh, out dude. with a, we're coming out with a whole line of uh, clothing. Uh, my partner and I, Ashton, uh, we have a promotional company called Let's Win. And it's an apparel company uh, promotion. Uh, we're doing we're doing lots of stuff. Heck yeah, dude! Let's go. We'll put that in the description too. Ashton was also on the interview um, with Shannon and uh, Harrison. He got to talk a little bit about Let's Win. So I would love to put that here in the description because um, I thought those I thought that was sick too. I'm like, this is cool. How like everyone's yeah. so creative. You got uniforms yeah. and stuff with it all. I think it's so cool. So Lethway, you talk about like you you won over there. What's the atmosphere like in a Lethway fight with the in their in their territory in their country? You know, like where what's it well, like? Fighting I'll tell there? you this: we had to go to the United States Embassy and get get a get sat down with the United States Marines who were the Embassy Marines, and they said, "Look, we're going to be at the fight with you. If it gets out of hand, we'll we'll escort you out and we'll we'll take care of you." So during the fights, um, 
they started throwing oranges and chairs and water bottles and just everything into the ring. It got out of control. We had to get rushed into the locker room. Uh, that's just for our safety because these guys, uh, they take it really, really serious. And if you come in and you beat their guys, it gets it gets out of out of control. It's uh, you know, there was twenty thousand people in the indoor national stadium. Now you got to remember the ticket price for this event. I think it was somewhere between sixty and a hundred bucks, but that's a month's salary in Myanmar. So these people were paying to watch their champions fight Lethway for a, imagine a month's salary going to for a ticket, and this place was sold out. So wow. yeah, yeah, it, it was. So they didn't want to see their guys lose for sure. There's no, a lot of financial risk no, on the line, man. No, dang, dude. So Shannon, then, is, is, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's, that, I mean, that's not even half of it. I fought in Habarsk, Russia, in an eight-man bare-knuckle, uh, no rules uh, event. And, uh, I mean, when we got there, the building we stayed in still had bullet holes because there had just been a war. And, uh, you know, I got my money coming off the plane. It was an eight-man tournament. I got my show money. I was not supposed to win. I fought a guy who was a Belarus national wrestling champion, and I beat him. And then I fought this Sambo world champion. And I beat him, and I won. I won, actually won the eight-man tournament. And uh, then they they let me take a picture with the belt, and they said, "We'll pay you the money. Uh, we'll wire it to you." So I never got the win money, and I never got the belt. Of course, just not. stuff like that, man. You know what I mean? But you're dealing with the Russian mob, so I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah, are you gonna pop off, no. man? You've you've dealt with some some interesting characters throughout your career. Uh, one of the things with bare knuckle. Uh, just any kind of whether it's left way, just normal bare knuckle boxing, bare knuckle fighting, whatever it is, makes martial bare knuckle arts, MMA uh, when it first started. Bare knuckle MMA. Yeah, I'm curious. Have you dealt with any injuries to your hands from the bare knuckle side of things? Do you find it's better than wearing gloves? Because some people actually argue that it is no. better. One thousand percent better fighting bare knuckle than it is with a glove. And why is that? I would love to well, hear what you say. On okay, that. so so when you fight bare knuckle, you have to have precision. To me, it's precision. I'm not just swinging for the fences because I get you on top of the head to break my hand. I'm trying to hit you in the nose, the chin, the eye. Um, if the guy bends his head down and you hit you hit his head, you break your hand. It's like I tell people, it's like, look, I want you to punch that wall as hard as you can with a boxing glove, and bam, they'll hit it pretty hard, and they're like, okay, yeah. Now take the glove off and I punch that same wall hard as you can, bare knuckle. That's the difference. Dang, dude. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And so, uh, have you experienced any injuries? Like, have, I guess my question dude, is, I've, I've, more I've, injuries I've had, in bare knuckle? I, no, 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 no. I've had more injuries in boxing, kickboxing, and MMA than I ever did in bare knuckle. Interesting. The worst okay. injury I ever had in bare knuckle was I got thumbed right in the eye. And and uh, I couldn't see out of my eye. It, it, Black eyes swollen. I was fighting in London in the O2 Arena um, against a monster, and uh, he thumbed me like 15 seconds into the first round. Uh, end up going to the second round, but I, I got TKO'd because I couldn't see out of my left eye. Oh, dude, so that's just one of those freak injuries. Yeah, I mean, it just happens, open. but it happens all the time in MMA, too. Um, you just got to learn to keep your hands closed. You know, guys do this, and you run into it. But yeah, no, I've had I've had broken hands, broken thumb, broken wrist, broke the wrist twice. Uh, I had a patella tendon rupture in my knee. I was out for a year. Uh, broken nose three times, broken ribs, um, broken toes. Um, yeah, man, it's broken too. <laughs> broken a rib hurts. That's like a bad thing. Um, yeah, man, it it had, it comes with the territory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you fight, it's all you, part you, of it. Yeah, it's all part of it. 
No, that's cool because you've just been, you keep going. That's why I was asking, like, if you even, people would probably just look and be like, I bet he's just been healthy his whole career. No, you just, you go through the injuries and you come back from him. Dude, breaking the rib. And here's another thing. You never, you you never, and actually, you know what, man? I've been hurt worse in training than I ever did in the fight. Um, You know, cuts, uh, broken bones, noses and stuff like that. But you never fight completely healed. You know what I mean? Because you're in this training camp and you're just giving it your all. You're injured. I don't know any fighter who's ever went into a, a fight not injured. You know, they're going to be like, oh, I'm 100%. I'm 100%. No, you're not. You got you got a strain here. You got a pool there. You got, you know, uh, a torn muscle here. You got fracture. I mean, heck, I fought with a fractured leg. You know, I had a stress fracture in my leg. I taped up my legs from my ankle to my knee, both legs, because I didn't want the opponent to know which leg was fractured. I, I fought um, with a broken wrist. I broke my wrist. <laughs> Actually, I broke my wrist. I was choking a guy in can- in uh, London. His name was Mark Weir, fought in the UFC. And I'm choking him hard as I can. And I, I fractured my own wrist on his chin because his chin was down. So after the fight, I put the cast on. We go get it checked out. I got a cast. Um, not kidding, man. Seven days later, I get a phone call from Scott Coker. He's like, hey, you want to fight Frank Shamrock in K1? I'm like, well, how much you paying? And he said, well, I'll, you know, I'll pay you X amount. And I go, Okay, so I just took the cast off and I fought Frank Shamrock left-handed. It wasn't the smartest thing in the world to do, but hey, <laughs> this is what I do for a living, man. I try to make money. You got paid. So that brings up a question then, too. So, Shannon, the evolution of the fight game, there's been a lot of progression in the game, and I and I respect that. I think it's really cool. But one of the things, as you're probably aware, with like Harrison Rogers is trying to disrupt the industry in the sense of insurance for fighters. That's one of the big things mm-hmm. for his promotion, the UFL. Right. Um, whereas most no no promotion that I am aware of, including the UFC, provides health care for the fighters during no. camp. Yeah, no one round. does. So no one no one gives you, you health care. Is that why you're fighting? Like, okay, so you just said like Frank Shamrock getting the opportunity to make a dollar. You know, like you're you're gonna make some cash. Take the you got a broken wrist. Go in and fight. Like, do you think if you if you could go back in your career, if you might have had that opportunity, would that have changed the way you approached camps and approached fights? Do you think? Hundred percent. If I had health insurance during those times, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had to fight. I could have just got my bills paid and and uh, healed up. Why do you 100%. think promoters like I maybe maybe can't speak for him, but why do you think more promoters haven't done that? Why is Harrison the first to do it? You know, it's that whole thing of are you fighting for that company or are you a subcontractor? If you're a subcontractor, then you're uh supposed to take care of your own medical your own all your own expenses but if you're an employee of that company they're supposed to take care of you and the whole thing the whole debate is are you a subcontractor or are you an employee you know you fight for the ufc and more or less they've locked you in a contract you can't fight anywhere else you have to wear their sponsors so you can't go get any other sponsors um and they let you maybe fight two three times a year now if you're on the undercard and you're just coming up how are you gonna make a living on three fights a year? Yeah, that's, that's it's very hard. It's very hard. So to me, they should, if you are fighting for them that way, they should make you an employee, pay for your health benefits, and put you on a salary. That's, yeah, that's, anytime that's, you're in a contractual, you know, it's so interesting. And again, I can't speak. I think Dana White's done a great job. You know, growing that. Dana White has done an. Um, Dana White has done an amazing job making the UFC what it is today. He took it from nothing and, and turned it into an international mega sport. But that is for the company side. I want to know about the fighters, man. How are the fighters getting taken care of? Because yeah. you're not going to have an event without the fighters. 100%. So I think, to me, I mean, I've been in this game 30, 30 something years. I think you need to take care of the fighters. 
I'm always going to go to the fighter side, not the promoter side. But so I under, but, but but you got to remember, I understand why the UFC does the way they do. They're making money, hand over fist, and why do they do it? Because they don't have to. You know, do they have to give insurance? No, they don't have to do it. But I have heard through the grapevine that if you get hurt in the UFC, they do take care of you. Um, yeah. So 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 that's that's one one thing is you know Dana Dana will take care of guys. I've I've heard them uh, flying people on a private jet, making them take them to the hospital, paying all their hospital bills. I've heard those stories. So sometimes you don't hear everything, but because I'm in the game and fighters talk, they're like, "Hey, man, you know, I broke my arm and or broke my leg, and Dana took care of everything." So uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I had a feeling that was probably the case. You know, yeah. they're just very discreet about what they they disclose, and that's fair. That's exactly I don't the business he, he does. So I, exactly. I have a question for you, Shannon, on on your fighting career. Of all the promotions you've been in, I mean, you even re referenced Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think most people might have skipped over that fact. Like, you know how to grapple. You're not just a striker. Uh, what's the hardest, I guess, event to fight in, in your opinion? what's What was the most difficult? Was it a boxing match, bare-knuckle, MMA match, whatever it was? What was your hardest one? I'm going to say say fighting in Thailand, doing Muay Thai. When you fight a Muay Thai fight, you are coming. I don't care if you win or lose or draw. You are coming out injured. Your legs are going to be battered like like getting kicked with a baseball bat, you know what I mean? So to me, Muay Thai is the most brutal, brutal sport, hands down, um, that there is. Sheesh, yeah. I got a buddy of mine who's a, uh, now a professional Muay Thai fighter, and he said he loves it more than MMA. He be, he fell in love with it, but he said it is brutal. It's a brutal, he's man. Like, you don't even realize it sometimes. Sometimes those guys are just kicking each other in the leg, and they're just bouncing around for three or four rounds, and then he's like, you get but out of you. They don't show you crap. After, after the fight, you don't walk for a week. Yeah, that's what he said. He's like, you know, I you're take limping. You're like, you just like your legs are just, you know, ah, it's horrible. Brutal, brutal. So, if you look back at your career, fighting thus far, what's your favorite memory and why? Sakuraba main event, Pride Eleven, man. I I got showcased. Uh, Vanderlei Silva was on the undercard. Big top, Big Cat, Tom Erickson was on the undercard. Um, you know, Big Daddy Goodrich was on the undercard. I'm the main event. I'm the I'm the star fighting Sakuraba, who had beat five Graces in a row. Nobody wanted to fight him. Don Fry calls me up on my birthday, September 27th, and says, hey, kid, got you a fight for Sakuraba. You want to do it? And I'm like, heck, yeah, I want to do it. Why would I? I mean, so, yeah, fought him. I had a whole month to train. That was the most ever I had to uh, give a training camp. And, uh, yeah, just that launched my career because, you know, I got three fights in pride. Um, man, that turned me go fight into K1. That turned into go fighting in Pancras in Japan. So I got to fight in several promotions in Japan. Um, overnight, I became a, a, a sensation, you know, I guess. You know, I got famous in Japan. Everybody was there. They want my autograph pictures. Even to this day, I have the Japanese fans still, you know, they, they still hound me when I go to either Hawaii or Japan. And, uh, you know, that, that just launched my career into everything. Yeah. So cool, man. Okay, so here's the next question. Uh, when I talked to Bruce Buffer – about his favorite place to like announce in like what, what's his favorite like country yeah, yeah. state whenever and he referenced a couple different countries but i'm not even gonna say them right now i want to ask you uh, having been around the world which country or if it's in the united states which state has the best fans for japan sports? japan 100 no no question that's what i was figuring you were gonna say just based on your last story that's so cool i think people don't realize that um i'm so, glad so in japan yeah, but so so in Japan, what happens if you win, lose, or draw, as long as you fight and compete and fight hard, the fans will adore you. 
and they understand the submission game, the karate game, the kicking, the punching, the knees, the elbows. They understand the positions. You know, a lot of people in America still are like, oh, these two guys on the ground, they're rolling around. What are they doing? They don't understand all the technical stuff that's going on there. But in Japan, they do. They, they totally get it. For educated fighters. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. When I go and watch UFC fights with my buddies and stuff, it's like they're up against the fence in a clinch. And I'm like, well, they're fighting for head position right now. All or hand position or hand position, yeah. leg position. I'm throw my knee. I'm going to hit you with an elbow. You know, it's that's what I, that's dude. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. It's just yeah, if yeah. educated fans understand it because it might look like it's boring for like 15 seconds. But they're if they move even half an inch this way, it's going to slide that position or hand position. And then they get an advantage. I'm like, there's there's a strategy being worked out here. So like just taking a break. Okay, so my next question for you as we're getting to the tail end of the interview, though, I want to know, you've been around a lot of fighters. You mentioned Dan Severn kind of helped you out, getting you into Hawaii and stuff, and you, you connected with him and whatnot. Who is the best fighter? Maybe it is Dan. Who's the best fighter you've been around, and what was the biggest lesson they taught you? Whew, that's a big, that's, man, that's a big question because I've trained with so many people. But I, right. I want to, I you know, obviously give a shout out to Boss Rutan. Because Boss and I became friends, and Boss is probably the toughest man I've ever, ever met. I mean, if you don't know Boss Rutan, go look him up. He uh, He's phenomenal. I cornered him in Road for Gold, uh, UFC 20. I was there in the back uh, after he won the belt. Um, yeah, to me, he's probably the toughest fighter, most technical fighter. I mean, he, he uh, you know, he was a kickboxer. He, he was amazing. He was king of pancreas. He was one of the first king of pancreas. Um, yeah, just look up Boss Rutan. One of the toughest guys I've ever seen. Okay. I actually follow his – he has some YouTube um, shadow boxing workouts. And so I still train. And so even though I'm not competing anymore, but I, I love listening to Boss's, like, shadow boxing workouts. It's kind of crazy. Like, you just mentioned his name. It's as simple as that. He's got some good shadow boxing workouts to, to follow. You'll get a good sweat going on if you do that. All right. Um, is there any fighter? I know you guys typically have a lot of respect for one another. Uh, that's one of the things about fighting that I think people think it's all barbaric, but I'm like, typically speaking, not everyone, but they're, they're mainly humble and they mainly have respect for each other eh, more or less, you know, for the, the fact that they're all fighting. Not many people, men or women will get into a ring or a cage and throw hands on one another. Okay. It's, it's a hard sport. Is there a fighter though, that you, <laughs> you maybe didn't get along with throughout your career and you know like you prefer not to ever have to talk to them kind of thing um i pretty much got along with everybody um you know i respect like a nice guy <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm a you know i'm a fan too i mean i've been in the game since it started but i'm also a fan of fighters um but there was a time when i met a fighter who literally refused to sign an autograph for a little kid and to me that was the most disrespectful thing i've ever seen in my life and after that day i quit being a fan of him and i didn't want to I didn't want to have anything to do with them. That's Anderson Silva. Anderson oh, wow. was, was here in Arizona. This kid came up with some pictures that he printed from the internet. And he said, can you sign? You know, this is like an eight-year-old kid. And through his interpreter, he said, $10,000, I'll sign. Wow. That, that ruined it for me right there. Because a long time ago, Dan Severn, Don Fry, they got with me and they were like, come on. You never not sign an autograph for a kid. You always make time to talk to the fans. And uh, to this day, you know, I, I will always sign an autograph. I'll always talk to the fans. Um, if it wasn't for them, then we're, well, then who are we and what are we? Yeah, for yeah. sure.
And I'm not sitting here. My, my point of that question was not to like down any other fighters, but I, yeah, I have a similar yeah. experience. Uh-huh. Uh, Shannon, I have a similar experience when I was eight years old. So it's funny you said an eight-year-old. Carl Malone, the Utah Jazz, yeah, were in yeah. Boise, Idaho. And I went to go get, they were signing autographs, but he didn't disclose. I got to the front of the line. I took for like a half an hour to get to the line. I had, I wanted him to sign a card and he wouldn't sign a card. And I didn't have anything else for him to sign. And so he didn't let me sign nothing or he didn't sign nothing for me. And I've always, I know everybody loves Carl Malone, John Stockton, all stuff. But I, for my whole life, I'm like, I remember that day because I sat in yeah, the line you're like, for what half a an dick, hour. You're like, what a dick move, you know? Yeah, I was like, oh, and and he's there's reasons they thought, said you could sell it for money and this and that. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't understand when I was eight. I was just devastated. So that's why, I like, you know, sometimes that stuff does have an impact on people. So, um, okay, biggest life lesson that mixed martial arts and combat sports have taught you, Shannon. Biggest life lesson. It's all. It's um. It's nice to be important, but most of all, it's important to be nice. I dig it, brother. Thank you. That's uh, that's all we got to hear right there. And you, if you were to give advice, oh, go ahead. Do you have something to elaborate no, no, on? No, no, it. I'm just saying, man, you 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 got to be nice to everybody and you want to be treated the way you want to treat people and people want to treat you. So it's like, guys, come on, sign the autograph, take the picture. Don't don't think you're so big that because you're not you're not that big. You know what I mean? I, I, I you know, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm around celebrities. Um, Tons of different celebrities, either an athlete, actor, you know, whatever have you. Um, and I've seen the attitudes. I've seen the guys with the big egos and stuff. And I'm just like, why? Why? I don't understand it. It, it just, it doesn't, it, it, it mind boggles me to see somebody, one, the fans love you and they adore you because they see you on TV and they think they, they know you too. You know, you've touched them in a way where they want to come and just be around you and hang out with you and talk to you. And I mean, just two seconds of talking to somebody could change their life. You know what I mean? And these guys get their big old ego and they're just like, I'm too, I'm too cool for school. And he's like, come on, man, can't do that. hundred percent. I love that. So I only had two questions left on my like ideas of things to ask. And one of them just alluded to is about acting, but I wanted to get to that at the very end. Okay. If you could give advice here, this is one of those questions. Let's say I'm a, I'm a young high school athlete, you know, and I want to get into mixed martial arts, but currently I'm playing traditional sports right now in your experience and just, and even coaching and seeing different fighters come into the game. What sport traditional sport, quote unquote, translates the best to mixed martial arts. I'm sure it's probably wrestling, but is there wrestling. anything there? Okay. So wrestling, would you advise them down. to do wrestling? Look, I've, I've been in the military. I've trained with uh, different special forces, tier one groups. And I'm going to tell you, if you are a wrestler and you wrestled through high school and or college, you can do anything because wrestling is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. If you can wrestle, I mean, I'm talking about go through the whole season and be a wrestler. If you can do that, wrestler life is easy. Wrestling is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Man, that's actually pretty deep. I had a, the CEO of the company I currently work for. His name's Russell Brunson. If you Google him, you'll hear about it. He's a, an entrepreneur now, and he was a college wrestler. He still does like, like the, the older man tournaments and stuff. And he said something very similar. He's like, he said there's so many parallels between wrestling and his business. Like he just, mm-hmm. there's difficulties and you just learn the mental toughness of things. So it's crazy to hear you say that. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> acting Shannon, as we get to the end of the interview, just acting, you're, you're an actor and that's something that I wanted to highlight here. I didn't want to just keep it on the sports side of things. 
you you do a lot more than just fighting, right? And that's what's so cool. About I wear you, I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, you do, and it's cool though. It's cool you get to do the acting side of things. When did you get into acting? Like, how did that even come about? And so I guess so I, what's the I'm hardest a, part about it? Yeah, so I'm a black belt under Carlos Machado. I'm a fourth degree black belt, and I've known Carlos for years. So we were out in Dallas, Texas, and we were training. And and at the time, uh, there was a TV show called Walker Texas Ranger, and Carlos Machado was you know Chuck Norris's coach. And so there was an opportunity where they needed some tough guys to come in and play these uh, small roles. And that was literally my first introduction into the acting world. And so I got to do two episodes on Walker, Texas Ranger. I did iCarly. I did Numbers. I did CSI Las Vegas. I was on the History Channel. And so that kind of kind of got me the, the, the acting bug. And plus, you know, I've been pro wrestling for over 20 years. And so pro professional wrestling is nothing but acting. So if you can do that, then dude, acting is easy. You know, I, I have one of my uh, uh, directors tell me, says, dude, you're a natural. As soon as the camera comes on, you're on. And uh, it, it, it all stems back from doing the pro wrestling. Um, but, you know, since then I've worked with Mel Gibson. I've worked with uh, Bruce Willis, Frank Grillo, Kevin Dillon, um, Mickey Rourke, Michael J. White, uh, Randy Couture, um, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. I mean, I've made, I, I've worked with some pretty cool actors. I mean, my first speaking role was with an Academy Award nominee, Mickey Rourke. And I had a big fight scene with him, you know, and that was kind of cool, you know. And so I'm a SAG actor. And although we're on strike right now, so nobody's acting right now. But um, hopefully that, that strike will end soon and we can get back to it because I got like three movies coming up and we can't do anything because we're on hold. So the question I would follow up on that is similar to the question about the fighters you've been around. Is there an actor you've been around that really has like stood out to you? And is there a reason why that they maybe helped you, took them, took you under their wing, or is it just something you recognized about how they do their job? So I, I would have to say Mel Gibson. And the reason why is when I met Mel, he, 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 you know, he was in his trailer and he was being treated like a prima donna and everything. And at lunch, he came out and just started talking to us. You know, we're, we're other actors and stuff, but he came out and hung out with us, not stuck in his trailer and, just uh, be a prima donna and his head is big. You know, I'm Mel Gibson. Dude, Mel was so nice. He was asking us questions like, so where are you from? You know, what what got you into acting? You know, he was just being very personable. And to me, that is, I mean, I'm a huge Mel Gibson fan. Obviously, I've been watching all his movies my whole life. And he was just such a nice, genuine guy. Um, so I would, I would have to say Mel Gibson. That's so cool. That's actually good for me to hear because sometimes I don't want to like hear the bad stuff. I like Mel Gibson as an actor. I like him as what I've seen in interviews. So to hear that actually makes me happy. And I'm not going to you know, say his, I'm not going to say his name, but there's been a couple actors too that were just total jerks. They 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 treated me amazing because I'm a fighter, and they are want to be fighters. It's really funny. All actors want to be fighters, and all fighters want to be actors. It's it's this crazy uh, <laughs> conundrum there. But I'm not going to say his name. But boy, he he treated me great. I got along great with him. But he yelled at the director. He yelled at the PAs. He was a prima donna. I need this. I need that. And I'll just, it, it, my perception of this guy now is like, what a jerk, man. I'll never deal with this guy in real life. And that goes back to what you were talking about, the golden rule, like the best lesson you've learned in yeah. MMA and just, about, sorry, combat sports in general. And just treat us the way you want to be treated. Don't, don't act like that. Be nice. It's nice to be important, but most important is to be nice. Exactly. I love it, man. As we wrap it up, is there, uh, I know we're going to put in let's, let's win promotions. We'll put the link to the clothing line and everything that you have down there with Ashton. Um, when is, is this coming? When, when, when is this going to be aired? 
This will be Friday, so the 21st. Of okay, so, in a so, week from so July 29th, if you're in Las Vegas for the Spence um, Crawford boxing match that is uh, blown up and sold out at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, myself and Ashton, uh, let's win promotion, road to gold. We are holding the official after fight party at the Virgin Hotel, the Skybox, from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., Hit us up and uh, come come party with the stars, man. We got a lot of a lot of A-list celebrities are going to be there. I'm not going to name who they are, but I'm telling you what, there's going to be some celebrities there. And if you come and hang out, Spence is going to be there. The actual fighter, he when he wins, he's bringing all six belts, so he'll be there. Um, it's going to be a good night. How does how does one actually get to that after party? They, is there a registration page, or they got to hit you up somewhere? There, there is. I got a I got a um, a website, and I'll send that to you. Maybe you can add that on the link. Yep. And um, you just go to the website, click buy ticket, and boom, there you go. All righty. We're going to put that here in the description. want to say thanks, Shannon. I appreciate you joining us, man. I'll let you get back to the rest of your day and your weekend and then the rest of what you got going on this next week. That'll be exciting. But um, stay in touch, man. I appreciate the stories you've shared, and I hope the listeners have also appreciated them. And I'll just say this for the listeners. If you guys enjoyed the interview, please leave us a review. Let us know what you thought. Give Shannon a follow, and uh, we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. All right, man. Talk to you guys later. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.